Very good evening, folks, and welcome along to another edition of the Irish F1 show, once again in association with PFT Travel and Rapco, our kind sponsors throughout the course of the uh, F1 World Championship this year. Uh, thanks to everyone who's gotten in touch with us since the uh, show last week. There's been a few nice comments after raining on social media over the last few days. And while we would love to be, I suppose, delving into an exciting review of the Mexico Grand Prix, it was rather substandard. So um, there will probably be a minimal enough amount of time spent talking about that. But there is a few hot and juicy topics that we can and will delve into about what's been going on maybe behind the scenes or what's going on maybe away from the track, which has caused an awful lot of debate over the last few days and it's something that we would have, I suppose, touched on a little bit as well. Uh, Brian Robert is uh, our first guest up this evening. How's things, Baz? I'll go, Kev. Thank you. Welcome along to the, uh, yeah, as you said, not uh, not the most thrilling of uh, Grand Prix on the track, but uh, plenty else to get our teeth into, I think. Mm-hmm. Richard Carney is absent this evening, but jumping in is Liam Murray, the man I like to call Puncture. How are you getting on, sir? Grand yourself? Ah, not too bad. Not too bad. Listen, man, uh, obviously, we have a little WhatsApp group, and uh, you contribute handsomely and regularly to that, and, and quite articulate as well, as much as I hate to give you credit. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, we, so we may give this lot a pop. So welcome along. Great to have you on board. You're keeping well. Yeah, grand, grand, thanks. Yeah, excited to be here. Happy to be here. Good man, good man. Well, listen, um, you look like a race engineer there anyway, which is, which is a great, <laughs> and a great start. Uh, your, your first appearance here on the pod. But um, yeah, a lot of people are, are probably going to give us uh, a bit of grief now later on, because they'll be saying... Jesus, uh, the one time there's a hot and juicy topic and there's going to be big words and Richie being very, very vocal on social media and there's no Richie here tonight. Here's the first conspiracy theory to even out here, <laughs> ladies and gents. But uh, guys, look, as we said, it was up there with... Was it the worst race of the year, Barry? It's definitely contender. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's hard to remember the bad Grand Prix by their very nature, but I mean, yeah, it's... Uh... It's only two days ago and it's pretty forgetful to start with. So, yeah, not a whole lot went on from start to finish. But um only thought that struck me only there since the Grand Prix was it's the first one in a while, I think, anyway, that there hasn't been a whole host of grid penalties, um, you know, where people drop it further down the order after qualifying and stuff. And much as we sometimes, you know, not myself generally, but a lot, a lot of people kind of give out about those grid penalties. They do help to spruce up the racing. So, um yeah maybe maybe that's not more than just a coincidence when as i say you put the fastest guy at the front and give him a head start and then we're all shocked that you know no one passes each other so maybe maybe the old grid penalties aren't too bad sometimes yeah um i, I can't remember what lap it was but um obviously ricardo was was a standout and it was great to see him performing so well but even just any sort of an instant of substance um when did gasly run uh, what do you call him off the track? I can't think off the top of my head now. What it was about, I, well, I'm right said it's about 40 laps in, lads. Yeah, it was in their first thing, so it was because it was when um, Ricardo was doing his charge up through as well. Because uh, in the background, you could see them overtaking, uh, and then you could see Stroll and Gasly and Gasly defending Stroll and actually driving into the side of him and wheel bashing them off. So it yeah. was fairly early on in the race. Yeah, yeah it was quite quick, and it was actually. Um, I couldn't believe that he didn't a give the position back himself straight away um nor was there any instruction from the team because it was pretty uh pretty slam dunk um you know exceeding track limits to gain a position so that wasn't the biggest shock in the world to see that five second uh penalty being being enforced and he's not a man that can you know he's 10 points on his license and they're not they're not starting to disappear until 
well into May. Um, so he's he's uh he's on thin ice at the moment, is uh Pierre. But Limo, he seems to be feeling pretty hard on by with all this. Like, has he a case? I don't really think so. Like, he did, he wasn't in control of his car when he was making the dive down and, and pushed him off. And I'd say he could be feel hard done by for the points that he got uh, for speeding under the red flag uh, because it was literally just when the red flag came out. Uh, and, you know, there's a bit of conspiracy going on behind the whole thing with Gasly as well because he's been very vocal since the Japanese Grand Prix. And the FIA have kind of been focusing in on him quite a lot more Um since then of which they kind of have been doing a little bit all year with people who are kind of outspoken about the FIA but realistically he he's been outshone by Sonoda all year so far like last year he he left Sonoda for dust but this year Sonoda is putting in the better performances he's further ahead in points I think as well uh, and and Gasly just seems to be checked out ready to go to Alpine for next year and he's just driving on the edge and and just doing whatever he kind of wants to get past it to, to go on forward or like. Hmm. Do you think uh, Ricardo's performance, Barry, and how good that was, is that just an expression of, of freedom with everything? Or um, is there anything other than that cir- behind it? I think it's circumstance, to be honest. Um, I mean, it's, as I always say, I always bring it back to basics, you know, when a guy is, you know, all of a sudden, you know, does better than he might've been doing, you know, earlier in the race or earlier in the season or whatever else. You got to bring it back to basics. Guys driving down to, to a corner, you know, there's a breaking point. You break at that point. It's it's actually very racing a car is very controlled. It's very, you know, it's not what some people think is. You know, if you kind of just grab it by the balls and let's go, lads, like that doesn't turn into lap time. You know, so it's not as if Ricardo's just got some shot of adrenaline in his arm and just started driving faster. Like that's not how driving race cars work at any level you know it's all about technique and um a lot of it's about kind of not holding back but not overdriving the car so you know ricardo didn't all of a sudden just start to remember how to drive again or you know start braking later or anything like that i think it's a lot of the times it's a glass ceiling element to it and he's driving at his upper limit the car had soft tires it turned out they were the way to go while everyone else was on not everyone else but a lot of those that he passed were on hard tires so you know obviously he still has to drive the car but i would think it was more circumstance than all of a sudden ricardo just getting you know just remembering how to drive a race car again um so you know it was good don't get me wrong it was a good result he needed it but um i think a little bit disingenuous to say that it was you know ricardo's back sort of thing Mm mm-hmm um, bit of banter between himself and Toto Wolf as well, Limo, after the after the race. And there's a lot of activity, I suppose, going on away from uh, the track at the minute. And there's a couple of things to be nailed down in terms of seats in different places, um, which is obviously why we're kind of mentioning Ricardo in a, in a certain light here a little bit. But just talks of Hulkenberg in the mix, um, you know, obviously possibly looking at it from a half point of view. Um, Stoffel is going to be Mercedes. Reserve. No, he isn't. I'm getting this wrong. No. Explain this to me. 
This is all so, yeah, it's the, the Stuffel was uh, Stuffel and Nick DeVries were uh, Mercedes reserve drivers uh, and testing drivers. But now, obviously, mm. uh, DeVries is off to Alfatori, uh, and Stuffel Von Dorn today was announced to go off to Aston Martin. So they don't have any reserve driver now or, or testing yeah. driver. So the big on kept secret. It, it was. Uh, rumored uh, weeks ago that uh, Ricardo was going to go to Mercedes, and now you see Toto wearing his merch. And he did a Sky interview with Toto and Danny Rick uh, on Sunday when uh, Danny Rick was doing his driver of the day interview uh, and stuff like that. So it it looks like I would say it's, it, to hedge your bets that he's going to go to Mercedes in some form of capacity, but um he's going to look to try and keep some other race as well because you're not going to get too much as a reserve driver there really like i've never seen stuff of on door race for uh or do any sort of free practice or anything like that for mercedes since he was a reserve driver yeah i haven't seen like i know he's been didn't he win formula e yeah he was formerly e champion yeah. but yeah but like his last time in f1 was not very memorable no, I can't remember when he was actually wrestling in uh, Formula One. It was a good while ago. Five or like, six years ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't anything that really stood out. It was back in, in McLaren Honda days when it, it was a GP2 engine, as uh, Alonso was saying. Um, but ever since then, like he won Formula E, and you can't really take that away from him. But everyone always says like it, it doesn't really. It's it's a look at a draw when you when you win formally like Nick DeVries did it but then then the following year he was well well down the pecking order in the actual championships and he was in the exact same machinery so it, it's it's more of a look of the draw um obviously there's an element of skill in it and stuff like that but it doesn't really hold as much water. Hmm. To be fair to Van Dorn though, well yeah I I don't really follow formally much but I I've heard similar um kind of thoughts about about formally in that regard but. Van Dorn had an absolutely incredible junior career, um, right up into F two or GP two as it was at the time. Um, so I don't think there's anything lacking there. Uh, again, you know, it's a circumstance to you know he was in a he was Alonso's teammate in his first year, which isn't easy for anybody. And um, you know, the McLaren Honda wasn't the the best performing package. So again, you know, he's he's uh, any of them at that level are, are top drivers. But no, he's never he's never. Sat, sat foot into a, a Merc for a, any FPs or anything like that. Probably does a lot of simulator work, and I know DeFreeze did a lot of simulator work and was highly regarded there. So that's that's a big part of it too. Um, and we know um, we'd seen that with uh, what's his name, Danny De, Danny um, Kvyat, hmm. who who kind of was out of a drive um, with uh, Red Bull and went and was highly sought after by Ferrari. As a sim driver, and um, because his, his sim driver and feedback and technical know-how is supposed to be excellent, so you know there is a play, there is a offering there from these drivers for that. They don't have to be in the car, um, but I'm surprised to see Ricardo take that option, um, because it's going to be you know whatever about an up-and-coming driver, um, traipsing all around the country or the world rather to, as someone said, drink coffee on race weekends, um. Ricardo, it's going to be a big struggle for Ricardo to be, to be there as a, you know, in the background kind of mm. knowing he's really not going to get a chance to drive the car. It's, I, 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 I think it's a, I don't know, I don't think it's a good move from. You didn't think he was over. You didn't think he's overqualified for it or something. You know, it's just seems mm. a little bit odd or something. Maybe that's a bit unfair to, to say. No, that I think it's absolutely right. I think it is absolutely right. I think he is potentially overqualified for it. But then you know the critics would say, well, he's. 
underqualified for keeping a race seat at the moment yeah. by his performances. So where else is he going to fall other than, you know, I'd say really when it comes down to it, his choice is either the Mercedes um, the Mercedes test driver role or not even, there's no test driver anymore, but it's a reserve driver role or the Haas seat. And um, I think I'd have thought he'd take the Haas seat. It's better to be on the grid than looking in from the outside. You know, it's better to be on the grid in a bad car than to be not on the grid but wearing a good car's team uniform in the pits like you know that's i don't see the point of that at all i don't think there's a way back from to be honest if, if he takes the mercedes route uh question liam uh, it's just come in here from mike dermot did lads think uh stuff will go on to aston martin is the end of mick schumacher at haas does liam think that yeah i i think the uh, schumacher has been gone from haas for a while like they're a small team uh every uh dollar counts for them uh, how many times has he crashed this year? Like in Monaco, he split the car in two. He's ruined, I don't know how many chassis at this stage. Um, and I think for a team like that, getting someone a bit more reliable in that's that's not going to bin it. Like after FP1 has finished and then putting it in the wall, like and ruining the chassis, like you need someone who's not going to do that. Um, so I think he's been on the way out uh, this while. And like Steiner's never really won to uh pull any punches or anything like that so um like the fact that he's not nailed down now at this stage like he's he, they've been in contract talks f- for ages there to start the season and then they came to a halt so they've obviously stopped and, and they've made up their mind that they don't want Schumacher like it could be a, a, a good bet to bring Hulkenberg back um they have I think the reason that they got Schumacher in is because they have a German sponsor uh, and they want a German driver so Hulkenberg would be a good banker for him because he's he saw that he's never going to do anything uh, massive because he's never gotten on the podium before uh, but he's not going to bin it as often as Schumacher does really Do you want on that Barry? Yeah I think it's I, I wouldn't be just as convinced that Schumacher is, isn't going to be there but I think you know it definitely looks that way at the moment Um it's probably, you know, 70-80% chance that he's not going to be there. Um, Hulkenberg's an option. I've, you know, Hulkenberg, again, another very, very good driver. Done a lot of good stuff in his junior career. A1 Jamp, GP and stuff like that. Um, yeah, he's, it's just a little bit safe, I think, you know, to take on, take Hulkenberg back um, when there's so many, you know, up-and-coming drivers. Um, but, like, you know... It is. He is a relatively safe pair of hands at the same time, and maybe that's what they need at the moment. But to be fair to Schumacher, and I, I, I wouldn't be as big a fan of his that that our, our uh, missing friend Richie is. But it, he's definitely. I was looking at. It, he's been quicker than Magnus in the last few races, and we know he's a slow burner. And he kind of, the, the, you know, in any other championship he's done, it's always been later in the season when it's come right. Um, he is showing signs of that now towards the tail end of this season. So. The question is, can he, you know, if he if he was to stay, or I'm sure his his selling point is that look, lads, I'm on top of the car now. We've all that out of the way and behind us. You know, this is the, I I form in this regard. I am a slow starter, and when I get there, I'm pretty good. We've got that out of the way. You know, let's you know let's let's move on and move into 2023 with that momentum. I'd say that's his, you know, that's that's his selling point at the moment. That's probably what he's trying to get across to Haas and. To be fair, it is probably probably true, but it might be too little too late um, for him, unfortunately. Yeah, because there's another question in, is it the end of Mick Schumacher and F1 altogether if he doesn't keep a seat this time? I mean, it's a, it's a difficult yeah. way back. Like. 
I won't come back. If he doesn't get in with Haas next year, that's that. That's it. I think you know. There's 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 too many other options out there. And look, you know, he's not he's he's not any more entitled to a seat than anybody else. You know, just mm. the name the name helps, the name hinders. But at the end of the day, he's you know he's got to perform. Um, I, he he's not going to get one just by legacy alone. Mm-hmm. Well. For a change, we're going to talk about strategy, and it's not entirely Ferrari related. Although we did see a Plan C quite early on, but we've seen Plan E and all in plans earlier on in the year as well. Uh, but this time, there's a lot being spoken about in terms of Mercedes and their tire strategy. Now, Liam, is it fair to say it's unlikely that it would have changed the outcome of the race, or do you think it would have played a big part? I'd say it would have played a big part in it. Uh, like Mercedes did look quick. Uh, if they had been on a, a better strategy um, where they were doing similar uh, softs and mediums with, with the Red Bulls, they could have gone a bit quicker. If uh, George had done the same as what Danny Rick did, extended his mediums and go on to softs, he probably would have caught Checo and then overtook him and then took the third place. And then the, the two of them would be on the podium. Um, I like When you look at what Max was doing when he went on to... Um, the mediums after his soft sets, like he was doing 22s consistently. The only time since he put on the, the, the mediums to the end of the race that he didn't do a 22 was on the VSE for two laps. Everything else he was doing 22 twos to 22 sixes. Uh, so the rest of them couldn't live with that because the hard timer, the hard tire only actually came alive uh, 37 laps into its lifespan. And then it started to become quicker than mediums. So from the get go, they were at a massive deficit to the war. Uh, so they could have been lived a lot better with them because they did look very quick. Like, like um, George Russell on his last qualifying lap, he pulled out of it uh, and he was uh, quicker. To, he had a personal best in the first sector and I think he had a, a purple second sector and then he bended on the third sector. So he could have nearly been fighting for pole or, or a lot closer, uh, which would have been a lot like, more of an interesting battle, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, commenting saying Mark usually on point with strategy, they can't always get it right. Um, a lot of talk. Uh, about, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. To be fair, I mean, it's very. You see, we all got to bear in mind. You got to go back when Merck Merck showed up for the last number of years. Mercedes showed up to the track with a car driver combo that was markedly quicker than anything else. <clears throat> it's quite easy to not get the strategy right and still win the race when you've got a when you've got a considerably faster car you know um so there's i'd say there was plenty of times that mercedes maybe didn't get the right strategy but they won in spite of that not because of it it just would have been masked a lot you know because everybody looks at it and goes oh mercedes won the race therefore they did everything right not always true the mercedes might have won the race in spite of making mistakes just such as their advantage and pace we've seen that with Red Bull recently, you know, they made a, a, a mess of a pit stop, 11 seconds down, bang, they still win the race, you know. doesn't mean the pit stop error didn't happen. Um, you got to look at things a little bit more in depth than just the the overall result of it. Um, and to, to the Mercedes point this weekend, I totally understand why they left Hamilton on the on the, the strategy was. There's no point in doing the same thing as Red Bull and starting on a soft and moving to a medium um, because... The Red Bull is a quicker car. If you do the same as what they're doing, they're going to beat you. So you, there's no point in, in doing the, in doing the same. So I can understand why they went the other way with Hamilton. They had to try something different to beat to beat Verstappen. Um, 
I think the real thing they made a mistake on was not trying to extend the mediums and put the softs on for Russell because they literally, figuratively and accurately, had nothing to lose. Russell was going to finish fourth if they put three wheels on that car. Never mind what's, whether they were soft or hard. That's where he was locked into his fourth position. So that was a mistake. Hamilton, in retrospect, might have been a mistake, but you can't judge them in retrospect. You only judge them in 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 in, in what they did at the time. Um, so Ma- what Hamilton was moved was right, but I think they definitely um left left something on the table with with Russell. Just give it a just to try it. If if nothing else, he was into for and like they kind of did because they put him in the last lap and put him on softs anyway to get the fastest lap. So um, that was that was their mistake there. I think. Mm-hmm. I was just smiling and working there because Shane was in touch and he goes, I meant this year, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> was it Shane or Keith actually that uh, was dressed up as a Joker? That was class. Oh, Keith, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was absolutely class. <laughs> yeah, he put a bit of effort into it, yeah. Jeez, it is, yeah. Um, I didn't have the volume on the, the thing that was shared, but I'm guessing it was Rock and Roll Power 2 and the whole thing, but it looked class. It was, it was. So I'll give him a shout-out and a shout-out to Rockco again and to PFT Travel. All right, lads. Um, sure, look, we might as well go at the elephant in the room, and this is, I suppose, after recording just before race started, and it's the decision of Red Bull... Uh, Max Verstappen, Horner, Red Bull to not speak to Sky Sports after comments made by Ted Kravitz on Ted's notebook last week. So I just want to get the comments that they're aggrieved over first, just to make sure we're factually and clearly correct. Uh, basically, Hamilton doesn't win a race all year and then finally comes back to the track where he could win the first race all year, battling the same guy who won the race. He was robbed in the previous year and manages to finish ahead of him. What a script and a story that would have been. But that's not the way the script turned out today, was it? Because the guy that beat him after being robbed actually overtook him because he's got a quicker car because of engineering and Formula One and design and pretty much because, well, yeah, it's not in the co-op, but Adrian Newey, Red Bull's lead car designer over there. That's what he said uh, after Austin. So based on that, the decision was made not to speak to Sky Sports. So the first thing I'll do is I'll ask you, Liam, did Red Bull do the right thing? Um... Is it fair to add in here that uh, Ted Kravis didn't actually mention uh, Rob by Max Verstappen? Or where do you see this whole thing in general? Because there is a broader point which we get onto, but in this particular example. Yeah, I, I think so. Like we, we've, it, It's kind of feeding the, 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 the flames, as it were. Like uh, if you go anywhere online and talk about Formula 1, it's all so polarizing. Uh, like you can even see Ted Kravitz after those comments that he's made, his Instagram is just getting plagued with people abusing him. And comments like this and dragging them or beating a dead horse basically, something that has done, it's over, it's finished. Michael Massey was sacked, we're moving on, we're on to the next year, but they're still bringing it back up, they're still making comments, they're still making jabs at Max and undermining his championship from last year. And it's just feeding the flames and it's keeping things going and like you know these are elite athletes and they're but they're not immune to what goes on outside and what happens online like the Hamilton was booed massively uh, there in Brazil but Max was booed in, in Austin last year and or last week even um and it, that has to play on their minds like somewhat you would imagine like and Sky Sports are everyone has made comments everyone talks about it the the constant bias towards uh, 
Mercedes and, and Hamilton uh, and the constant bashing of, of Max. Like, I'd say th- they are within their right to do what they did. Like, they've come out and said that they're going to talk to them at their next race, so it only lasted one weekend, which, you know, why wouldn't you carry it on if you're going to keep going? But, um, yeah, like, Christian Horner is always very open with, with Sky. He's always there for interviews. He's always on the pit wall talking to them. He loves being in front of the cameras uh, as much as the presenters do as well. Um, so to go at them like that, they're constantly at them. Like I, I don't, I don't blame them for pulling the plug on it. Barry, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would have liked to seen them maybe handle slightly different. I would like to see call it on it, call him on it. You know, to 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 in a in an interview um, as opposed to just kind of not talking to you. But I don't blame them for taking the route they did. Um, it's just been a few bits and I think that yeah you know as Liam says it's so polarizing and it's so kind of you know kind of parochial almost the way it's going at the moment and I don't like that um I I think it's I I to be perfectly honest it's it's like a dumbing down of the sport and you, you know you need to respect everyone all of them all the cars all the drivers all the team members you can cheer for one that's all right but you don't that you know what's it someone said you you know, extinguishing someone else's candle doesn't make yours burn brighter. Like, you know, just let, just take the lads, take, you know, you support that team. That's grand. Support that team. You don't have to absolutely hound anyone who likes another team or another color car. It's just so ridiculous. It's just stupid, you know? Um, but anyway, that's, that, that, that's the way that the sport has gone. Right. Right. You know, whether you like it or not, unfortunately, um, and the fan base is gone. Um, but, um, when you think back on it, and I and it's it's I've made myself think about it and look back through a few things. There's always been the Hamilton bias, um, which is understandable. At the end of the day, they are you know it's it's his countryman, you know that's they're they're from the UK. It's a UK production. He's a UK driver, everything else. Um, but it's gone. I mean, if you remember back to it, went back as far as Vettel. There was always this kind of anti-Vettel thing going on in the early two thousand and you know, 10s, 11s, 12s, when he's winning his championships. Um, there was certainly a bit for Alonso. Uh, there was, I mean, even go back to Schumacher's time, if you like, which is before Sky Sports, he was, you know, you know, the, not exactly similar sort of stuff, I suppose, you know. Mm. And then um, even when Nico Rosberg won against Hamilton in the Mercedes, um, there was, I was reading one, there was one of the BBC um, journalists, a respected journalist was basically, yeah, Rosberg won, but here's why Hamilton didn't. And it basically went into say that, you know, Rosberg, our reigning Formula One world champion, isn't as good a driver as, as, uh, as Hamilton. He's just been lucky and Hamilton's been unlucky. They're like, this is hours after he won a championship. It's just so, when you actually start looking at it with a different set of eyes, maybe that I had of previously, um, it's hard to not see it. And there's definitely something there, whether it be deliberate or not, I don't know. Um, and it could be just a bit of, you know, patriotism, jingoism, whatever you want to call it. But um, it should be better than that. Um, it's the role of a commentator is to, is to yes, add a bit of colour. A little bit of personal opinion isn't bad. It's not, you know, we don't want zombies just iterating out PR rest, press releases and all this sort of stuff. But... Um, what what Ted said in the notebook after Austin was in itself not the worst thing in the world, but it was probably a bit of the straw that broke the camel's back. Um that, that just kind of brought it over the edge. And um the irony of it is is that by Red Bull choosing not to speak to Sky Sports, it's probably kind of blown up more for them now, if anything. But they're kind of damned if they do and damned if they don't in that respect. Um 
And it's sad to see, you know, people turning turning on uh, Ted Kravitz, who I actually have a, you know, a lot of time for. I, I think he brings a lot of interesting qualities to, to 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 the to the sport, and you know, he's kind of likable sort of chap to to watch. Um, you know, has his opinions. That's fine. Um, but I, you know, no one likes to see these sort of death threats and all that absolute rubbish that's going towards him at the moment. That's just you know beyond the pale, no matter what way you look at it. Yeah, no, that's completely out of order, and that. It's all too common nowadays, unfortunately. We don't we don't want to see that, you know. Um mm-hmm. we just want to debate the, the whole thing, I suppose, in a civilized way and have we'll a look play at the ball, it. not the man, isn't it? You know, that's the, the thing you can you can sit yeah. there and give out about the, the Massey and the FIA and all the rest of it, but it's not Red Bull's fault. It wasn't Verstappen's fault at the end of the day. That's that's where the, the line needs to be drawn. Um there's been, you know, Every other championship that's been won through the course of F1 history probably has somebody somewhere saying, Jesus, I don't know about their engine. Or, I don't know. Like, there's, there's been loads of it. You know, Mercedes themselves, you know, built an extra engine for Brazil last year, you know, flouted the rules and took the penalty so that they'd have a very, very fast engine for the Brazilian race. You know, that's breaking the rules, so to speak. But, you know, is that a diff- is that rule... You know, not as important as the other rule. Like, who 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 gets to decide that? There's, they're all at it. Let's be honest. They're all going to push it to the absolute limit. Um, and if an opportunity presents themselves, they're going to take it. Every one of them, Hamilton, Alonso, you name it. Every one of the drivers on that grid will take it. Will take it when it presents to themselves to to them. But it's not their fault in most cases. Yeah, actually, I know we're going off topic a little bit, but it was also a juicy one. Alonso's comments about Hamilton's world titles. You know, he won. We know he won seven, um, and uh, I need to get the exact quote for Alonso, which I don't have to hand, but basically he was kind of discounting a few of those on the basis that he was only competing with his teammate because his car was so good. That's a big, yeah, I think, big, the, I think to, to paraphrase, it was basically Verstappen's mean more than Alonso was to say, and I'm paraphrasing, Verstappen's titles mean more because he had to beat other people in other cars, not just his teammates um, in the same car, or words to something, you know, that's, that's the effect he was getting across, and like he's not wrong. Like <laughs> he's not. At the end of the day, he's not. Now the problem with Alonso is, is that you know, he 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 was t- he was Hamilton. And ha- did you see the tw- the tweet that Hamilton put up, which is just a yeah, picture of him yeah, on the podium him, ahead of Alonso? Yeah. You know, but that's grand. It's just t- like these guys are not machines. They're just too. You know, they're thirty. Well, I'm gonna say thirty draws forty in in Alonso's case. <laughs> you know, just ribbing each other and get like sure what harm. Like let's it's fine. It doesn't have to be factually 100% correct you know about it. And, and and yeah someone's going to find something that happened 10 years ago or someone had a, said something 10 years ago that doesn't match up with what they're saying now but you know it's um, it, it's probably you know there probably is an element of truth in it like at the end of the day Verstappen won the championship for Red Bull last year and Red Bull won the championship for Verstappen this year Insofar as the you know that the, the car that Verstappen has this year is faster and better in general than his competitors, and that's helped him to win the championship this year. Verstappen's driving and just doggedness last year won the championship for him uh, over a more superior Mercedes car. That's the way it goes. It's you know it's there's um so yeah Alonso's right. He probably you know Alonso doesn't say anything. He probably does have hat for for a bit of a. A bit of a, a reaction sometimes, and he gets it, and we all talk about him. And 
you know, but sure, why not? As I said, we we got to bear in mind, but not that long ago, we were all going on about F1 drivers being robots and not saying anything and yeah. they have no personality and they don't open their mouth. And now we have a situation where every time one of them opens their mouth, there's a, a gazillion people on Twitter fact-checking them and going back to say, well, in 2006, on the 14 minutes past, you said this. Like, you know, so they're just going to revert back to just saying nothing again if, if, if we keep pulling everything they say apart. Like. Anything on any of that, Liam? Because I know there was an awful line in it there. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree with you as well. Like, Alonso does like the sound of his own voice a little bit. Uh, he does like to be in the headlines and stuff like that. But he's not really wrong. But us, when he came on the scene after Rosberg retired, you know, he was never really at the races. Like, sometimes, he, some years, he didn't even finish second uh, in the championship. Like, when he's, like, Hamilton is so far ahead uh, with his car. So, like Hamilton ran away with it uh, because they were so dominant. Max is doing it at the tail end of this season because Ferrari should be up there, but for whatever reason, they're well off the pace now. Uh, and as you said, like Red Bull supplied us this year. They supplied the car and, and Max is running away with it. Everyone got bored watching Hamilton win. I, like I, I didn't watch a lot of Formula 1. Uh, when Hamilton was in his dominance because you turn it on and no one would change places where you started and qualifying is where you finish and you know it's still a great achievement by Lewis like not to take anything away from him but it's not as impressive really when they're so dominant like there was a, a, a an element in in Mercedes when they were so dominant as to how to not make people hate them as much in their marketing meetings because they were so dominant to try and offset that a little bit because uh, that's how that's how much they were winning like where they had to consciously try and make them uh more likable because people were starting to hate them so much I'm going to bring it back then to this whole thing about you know the the so-called bias and all and and, and try bring another little bit of flavor to it so obviously uh Richie threw up a tweet there a couple of nights ago um in relation to you know the, the so-called bias or whatever and he, he said that he thought Max should have called Sky Sports out as well instead of the, the silence and then I prompted a bit of debate underneath it um I wanted to kind of individualize it a little bit and maybe put a disclaimer that I personally wouldn't have much of a problem with the way Brundle carries um I suppose his opinions and all I think he's very you know he's very straight but to a lesser extent and then Connor Murphy came in and mentioned Paul Deresta who I'd probably put in there a little bit as well now not to the same extent as the other two um and I'll get your thoughts on that in a moment but our friends over at the, the First Corner F1 podcast uh, said that I think every English-speaking territory should get its own commentators and pundits like in the 90s and noise, like when RT had theirs. You should see how passionate the French, Dutch, Spanish, Italians get, but Sky UK just get accused of bias. I think it's very natural, petulant of Red Bull, in my opinion. Now, the thing I just want to add to that is, in contrast to going back um, an era or two, Sky are the content kind of provider, we'll say, for the F1 feed. As well, which goes out to America now. So, is there an element that while this is going out, obviously on Sky UK, are they slightly forgetful that it is actually a world feed as well? And do they get maybe drawn into that? And is that why we see this, I say, quote unquote, bias? Do you think that's a factor, lads? And whichever he wants to take it up there, Belto. Yeah, I think it is definitely a factor. I mean, I don't know what. Liam, what your thoughts on it, but it is a factor how, how deliberate or not it is as, as a different one. Yeah, 
yeah, I would think like they're, they're always going to cheer for their own lads. Like you're not going to watch rugby at the weekend and cheer for South Africa. Like you're going to cheer for Ireland. So there is an element of that, but they have to be conscious that this does go out everywhere. Uh, like there's no uh, bias in ESPN for Haas being the American team uh, because it's the Sky feed. They don't really talk about them. They just focus on their lads, the Lando Norris's, the the to a lesser extent, and the Lewis Hamiltons. Um, so I like. Uh, what they're what they're feeding into and, and what they're kind of doing um i think there has to be an element of they have to realize that there's other people listening than just the people in in the uk the english like that want that want to just hear about lewis hampton and stuff like that so yeah like oh. it, it, it 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 enrages you sometimes when you're just sitting there and you're tuning in and uh mercedes been well off the pace all year and they're talking about is this the, is this the weekend that Mercedes are finally going to get their win and then Lewis Hampton doesn't get out of Q2 or something, you know. It's always just driving the same thing, the point that's not really there to be driven uh, for most of the season. Yeah, there is a kind of, um, uh, maybe a subconscious with, with Crofty, maybe it's not, but you can hear in his voice when he's talking about Hamilton that bit more. And Russell as well, to be honest with you, but maybe not to the same extent. Just if he's doing a lap or whatever, there's just that little bit more, I think, more often than what you would hear in terms of excitement with other drivers up around the top end. That's that's something I definitely would notice personally. Um, but what do you think about the other guys that I've, I've mentioned there? You know, I think that's where a lot of people are maybe falling down a bit. It is unfair to just say everyone has Sky F1 coverage is like this because there is so much of them there. And, um, you know, what, what, what do you think? Like, I, I think Brundle's fantastic, lads. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of Brundle. Like even in his earlier stuff where he was always going out and driving the cars and the insight that he'd bring and the same with Button, like for the likes of myself and yourself that has never raced cars and listening to Brundle and Jensen talking about how uh, they're doing stuff, how they can see the lads fighting the wheels at the steering wheel and trying to get traction and what they should be doing here and there and everywhere. They're they're a lot more interesting to listen to then crofty just shouting over everyone uh but even like brundle i think uh, uh, jensen and and brundle are a lot more um less bias on them as well like there at the weekend in in the build-up they were talking about the red bull breaching the budget crap uh cap and how it was budget crap you're right yeah budget <laughs> crap. Three hundred thousand pound over and they were trying to label it that's how that's why max verstappen won two world championships because they overspent by three hundred thousand. and brundle was there and called them straight out and it's like you can't say that you can't say something like that there's no way that you can buy two world championships for just three hundred thousand pound you know, he's the only yeah. one that is always there that is just but is that, talking about is, everyone else. Is that, sorry, Liam, interrupt you slightly. Is, yeah. that, is that not a, um, you know, Brundle? I, I think the drivers obviously bring a big, big, um, like you said, behind the scenes kind of expertise to it. To, to, like you said, lads who haven't drove cars before. Um, uh, but I think beyond that, what they do is they, they bring it, you know, a kind of a, practicality a pragmatism of it i suppose more than anything else that you know they know that you know you'd, you'd like to david croft and commentators gotta bear in mind that their role is to add color and you know spruce it up and yes they be shouty and all these things to you know which is not, you know kind of what murray walker did he was you know enthusiastic he, you know he was the best of them obviously but it's the same sort of thing they need to 
They need to twist the dial. You know, they need to turn the dial and get, you know, make something that's not exciting, exciting. And that's where I think where the drivers come in from the other side and go, you know, like I said earlier, look, Carlo doesn't just remember how to drive. Let's calm down. You know, to kind of offset that kind of, you know, shoutiness with a little bit of pragmatism, with a little bit of, well, in reality, lads, what actually happens is you know, um, and I think that's why the driver's punditry is sometimes a little bit more balanced because it's it's not as gung-ho and, um, you know, kind of peaks and valleys as sometimes the the, 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 the commentator, the main commentators, kind of the colour commentators, I call them, to get that, get try, try to go for. You know, they, they're all into a big, you know, like, Oh, Hamilton, Hamilton's after doing this, or Norris is after doing that because he's, you know, he's he's so brave and he's, you know, he's a gladiator and da, 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 and, and Button's looking at it going, well, no, it's just tire temperature has just came in better because they a mechanic put an extra two degrees of camber onto the car that they didn't re- that they realized they need. It's not as exciting, but it's probably what happened. Um, as opposed to this, like he, he's he's just he's just amazing and he's just after deciding to go two seconds a lot quicker because. He had his, you know, Weedabix this morning or something like, you know. So th- that's the reality of it, and it, it's not as interesting, unfortunately, as you know the kind of the hero driver type element. But that is generally speaking what happens in it, um, and that's where I prefer to. I, I, I would disagree on the the, the rest of thing. I think the rest is just too, too flat. I don't think he says anything. He says he, he doesn't criticize anyone. He doesn't. Um, big up anybody on the other side. He's just, I think, he's just a little bit too cautious, maybe. Um, in his, in his delivery. In. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, that <laughs> boat has definitely sailed at this stage. Um, but he is a little bit just bland for me. Um, but it's, it, it kind of shows the point. It is this fine line that they have to walk between being bland and being, you know, getting the mm. grief that, that Kravitz is getting. It's, it, it's, mm. a, it's a small, it's a small envelope they have to operate in. Um. And to be fair, it's live TV um, going out to millions of people. And, you know, in Kravitz's defense, take Kravitz's defense, he's, you know, doing that pip, that kind of um, notebook thing. It's got to be difficult, you know, walking around trying to find something to talk about, you know, live and in the moment. Um, doesn't excuse it, but might be a little bit behind where maybe he's just, his mouth just got a little bit ahead of his brain on that one. In yeah. fairness, all season, Ted hasn't been too bad. That's probably the most he's ever said about last year and stuff like that he's always kind of brushed past it and gotten on with it so he's he's i've always liked listening to him and watching him afterwards because he was so the least insufferable of them all really yeah <laughs> oh, I leave over. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you see i'm just to pick up on something that you said barry like i think if if you hear crofty putting the same excitement and color into every driver like what murray walker used to for most yeah. part i thought like the only real standout for murray walker was and understandably so when Damon Hill won the World Championship and I think I've got an open my throat, that's, you know, that's yeah, fine. fair. Yeah. There's a connection there. But I can recall so many things where, and it's feeling it, where, and it's Senna, and it's yeah. Frost, and it's done with the same vigour and excitement. But I don't see that consistently enough with every driver, in my opinion, that's just my opinion, with Crofty. That's where I take issue a little bit. I just think it's... It's probably one of those... With, with it, certain it, drivers. It's probably one of those things that you got to... What was it someone said to me a while ago? Normally the saying is you gotta you gotta see it to believe it, which is the typical saying. But if you turn that saying on its head, you gotta believe it to see it. You know, sometimes if you 
you believe something, you'll see it as a result, you know. Exactly. Uh, and yeah. and and I think you know it's like your story. You buy a silver car, every car is silver. Like you know, it, uh, if if you for whatever reason if you've got that in your head, you're probably going to see it more and more and more and pick up on things. Some of them rightly, maybe some of them not so rightly. Um, and you know, it's that the problem with that is it's a bit of a you know, it's a bit of a snowball then at that stage because then they can't open their mouth without people going, oh, that's what he meant there, or, oh, he didn't mean this here. Um, I wouldn't, I, I, to be honest, personally, I, I, the kind of crafting and stuff, that type of commentary generally washes over me because I think it's performance. Um, I, and I think that is their role. It's performance, it's theatre, it's make it exciting, shout and roar and do all this sort of stuff. And um, the stuff I really have an ear for is more just at the, you know the 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 expertise, Inside, the technicals, yeah. that sort of stuff. Because um, I there's a bit of theatrical license with the other stuff that I'd always kind of give the the crafties and whatever of this world. Because at the end of the day, that is their job to shout and roar and make it exciting. Um, yeah. you, nobody wants, you know, you know, like that's why James Hunt and Murray Walker work so well, or you know, uh, Brundle and Crafty. It's the yin and the yang, you know. And two two Brundles wouldn't be the same oh, as no. one of each, you know. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It needs yeah. to needs to but work it's no together. Different in, in any sport, though, like that's the whole all of it. And and sometimes when you see, and this has never happened that I can recall any no clear example. If Crofty was trying to do a Brundle's role and Brundle was trying to do a Crofty's role, it doesn't work. I've seen no. in radio. I've seen very very good analysts that might be with me at a at a GA game. We'll say. And maybe one day they're turning to be a main commentator. It's a completely different thing. Yeah, yeah. Completely different thing. And you might be able to answer this one for me. Well, you know, me, that's pretty one-dimensional in the sports that I follow. Um, but is there another sport that has such worldwide exposure coupled with a consistent two-person? I know there's, there's, you know there's others that come and go, but... Generally speaking, a world at that sort of sport with that sort of worldwide exposure with that amount of events in a year with the same two commentators talking about the same 20 protagonists. I can't think of a sport where that would happen. You know what I mean? Like if you think of if you think of soccer, you know, in the UK, you've got the UK championship, the, you know, other championships, <laughs> you know, I don't know any of them, but the other they, they yeah, there's, you know, like was it Serie A or something in Italy and all the, you know, Bundesbag, whatever they call them, right? They've all these other cha- and and even they're all independent of each other. They'd all then have different matches with different, you know, they're not playing the same people match in match out. To my year, they don't have the same commentary teams time in. You know, they have a bigger spread of commentary, and that's only nationally. So you know. Imagine a, a World Cup type setup where you have the same twenty teams playing each other and somehow or other every second week for the entire year with the same two commentators talking on it. You're going to find problems with that sheer volume and quantity of um, airtime. Mm. And so, I don't think it's a Formula One problem. I think, I think it's literally no other sport has those set of circumstances to be compared to and if they did maybe we would just go oh yeah sure, that's normal should have happened in the tennis last week or the golf next week or whatever so i think that needs to be taken into account as well as as opposed to just the whole you know throw, throwing labels at people and stuff mm. yeah maybe so i'll take your, i'll take your point um the one thing i suppose i would add to that is it it is really i suppose dependent on 
who the pairing are and maybe how how good they are as well. That's a generally speaking thing. It's something to do with, with this particular example. But it's a very good point that I never thought about on a world scale. It's something maybe that you might see in Ireland when it comes to maybe a local level when there's football matches on and maybe they're just doing one at the weekend or something like that. Um, mm. I don't mean on, on TV. I mean local radio now as such. It will be, yeah, it can be, it can be common enough, but definitely not an international one. It's a, it's a very good point. Never, never really thought of that, I suppose. So, the the um, other side to think of it too is like, I, I, but the big difference is like you go back, I'm just sitting here. There's a, a Senna poster in my room. He's look, look, the movie poster looking back at me. It's just prompt me to think of something. Every time Senna won a race in the Brazilian commentary, they played a particular type of music <laughs> as he crossed the line, <laughs> which was 30, 40 seconds, very kind of emotional, you know, let's go, lad, sort of type, type music. Um, so this isn't, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty unbiased. Let's be honest, you know, uh, full, full, you know, orchestra yeah. music banging out like as soon as send across the line. So they were biased. I think the difference there, though, as you said earlier, was that was a Brazilian winning with Brazilian commentators exclusively for a Brazilian audience. I think mm. the Sky thing is the fact that the, the world feed is, is is or the English speaking feed rather is, is where it maybe falls down and but again it's a numbers thing you know it's the it's the whole world is criticizing them as opposed to just spanish speakers or whatever it might be mm-hmm. a few comments that have come in lads uh mike says croft and gravitz have been quite biased towards hamilton for some time gasly got points on the license for track limits in austin and is very close to missing the race if he's not careful was hamilton also guilty of track limits didn't get a point on the license uh sky also wouldn't let the red bull breach drop yet Never really mentioned Aston Martin who also breached rules. Um, yeah. What was that about? Hamilton got. What was it? Sorry, you uh, said Gasly got the point. Gasly for... got points on license for track limits in Austin and is very close to missing the race if he's not careful. Was Hamilton also guilty of track limits? Didn't get a point on license. Well, well, now I don't know the answer to this. Maybe Mike could reply in. What What was Hamilton's issue with the track limits? Was that in the race? I don't recall that. Not yeah, saying it didn't sure. happen, I just didn't. I might, I, I might have missed I think, it. But... I think towards the end of the race, Lewis Hamilton he got a he got a flag just to, as a warning uh, for track okay. limits. Um, I think the difference there is that in in Gasly's case, he forced another driver off the circuit, uh, as opposed to track limits. Whereas Hamilton did the track limits on his own. That's probably the differentiator there. I'd say. Mm-hmm. Lads, yeah. uh, I think. I'm just going to go back to the running order that we have in place. I think we're after covering a good bit, in fairness, in terms of what we had laid out to cover. Um, yeah, uh, literally one of the topics was shit race, which is aptly put. Um, in fairness, another thing we should have pointed out as well was um, Checo telling the fans not to boo Hamilton. Which, you know, it was a nice nice thing yeah, to see. Yeah, there was actually another video that I've seen there today that just surfaced of the, the Red Bull mechanics hanging out over the pit wall, cheering Max on, and then Lewis coming in and then applauding him as the, he comes in, and then Checo comes in the, the cheer for him. So they're actually showing that bit of respect to the other teams, the other drivers as well, which is good to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably always been the case yeah. um, and, and, and is generally speaking. Um, it's the, the F1 Twitter world or... Yeah. Instagram world, I think we're kind of oh look, look at that's happening. Where it's you know it's not actually new. That's yeah. probably been happening for all the time. It's just it's more insightful that it's more of a 
interesting that people thought it was unusual when it really isn't. It was unusual to have that footage for sure. Yeah, I think that's pretty pretty typical. But again, it's it's that split between what's happening actually between the drivers and the teams and what the fandom right? out there thinks about it. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's it's a it's a pity that the the fans can't treat each other with the respect that the drivers and the teams do to each other. That's that's the real yeah. sadness of it. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Just lastly, just when you're talking about the respect between the teams and stuff, we shared a couple of videos as we tend to do over on our Instagram page. Um, last week would have been twenty five years since uh, Villeneuve actually won the championship, and uh, that that mad weekend with himself, uh, Frenson and Schumacher all sitting at the very same time, which was crazy. Um, he did say afterwards in an interview, someone has the result of the, the next digit. And I don't know, do you know that? I didn't do any reading up after I'd, to see who. I'd, I'd heard it that there was, it was to the, I think it was to the hundred then, and it's to the thousand now. So I think there was, there was, there was one other decimal point somewhere that, that would, that would, would split them. We'll see, we'll see is that there. But uh, the point anyway, which I was, I was actually heading towards was him driving back for the pits after the race and, all the teams clapping, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that was very, very cool moment. So, yeah, that's it, gents. Look, sure, we'll leave it at that. We're back in a couple of weeks' time. We'll have a look back on Brazil. Uh, we also have an interview with Matt Gamby, who was uh, very much involved in making a deal happen with uh, with Haas this year. So it's interesting to see things from that point of view. We'll probably throw that out there next week. We spoke to Matt there a couple of weeks back. Uh, we are, of course, as we said, on Instagram, Facebook, and on Twitter, at Irish F1 Show is our handle. Uh, you can check us out there. We have a Buy Me Coffee link as well. If you're liking the coverage, you can support our efforts for price of a coffee. And a big shout out to Rapco, a PFT Travel, our kind sponsors. Liam Murray, Barry Rabbit, thanks a million, lads. Really enjoyed this evening. Hope you did as well. And uh, we'll chat to you again soon. All the best. Take care. Thanks. Bye, 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 bye. Cheers. Bye. Thanks.